And so here we are at the very end of yet another year. And I would ask you this question. This is an important question for you to answer to yourself. And I hope that you maybe have already asked yourself, would you say that at this point in this year, the very last day of the year, that you are more mature as a follower of Christ than you were 12 months ago? Nod your heads, but answer it for yourself. I mean, if you are, it is because throughout these last 12 months, you made commitments that you kept. You disciplined yourself to do the things that promote maturity, that cooperate with the work of the Spirit of God in your life. And because you made those decisions, you are different today. William Law, in his book, You Can Stand Strong, wrote this, and I think these are powerful words. If you stop and ask yourself why you are not so devoted as the early Christians, your own heart will tell you that is neither through ignorance nor inability, but purely because you never thoroughly intended it. What's he saying there? He's saying this. If you didn't grow this past year, it was of no fault than the fact that you never really intended to. And if that's the case, friends, why not? If you did not give yourself to the study of the Word of God in prayer, in obedience, to learn to grow in love for one another, for strangers the people around you, I ask you, why not? What was it that was so great that you chose instead this past year that for now you would celebrate it? I knew this comes across as rather heavy, but friends, I want us to realize what is at stake every day. You are building a life, and I would ask you what kind of life it is you're building And what kind of influence that life will have in the lives of the people around you. For those of you who want to grow as God intended you to do so, I offer you this new series. For those of you that answered some of these questions and didn't like the answer, I have this series to kick off the new year. And it is entitled New Habits for a New Year. Because that is our life. Our life is nothing but habits. We create patterns and we walk through them. We learn to respond to difficulties in a proper way that honors God. And we learn how to walk in the quiet times and in public in ways that bring glory to God. The stuff that changes our heart and in changing our heart changes our lives. Well, if that sounds interesting to you, I have some important information, some truths that you need to know as you prepare yourself for January 1. And the fact is that uh, number one truth is learning is the essence of discipleship. Learning is the essence of discipleship.
It means that there are truths out there that we do not know yet, or we do not fully comprehend or understand, and we must if we are to grow. I mean, think about it. The Great Commission, we all know it. We've heard it thousands of times. It's found in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. I'll say it. You'll recognize it immediately. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. A little further instruction. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 20 jumps in and says, and teaching them. To observe. Once they have begun this new life, trusting in Christ, making that faith public, begin teaching them. There are things that every disciple must learn. And I want you to notice it says, teaching them to observe. Observe is another way to say obey. These are the things that we must obey in our lives. Learning is the very essence, the very essence of discipleship. And the fact is we learn in order to know God. In the Gospel of John in chapter 5, you know, Jesus has begun his ministry and instantly there is this response of opposition by the religious leaders. And they are asking, who are you to say this? I mean, who, what, what authority do you have? And Jesus begins to lay out the witnesses to who he is. But when we come to verse 39 of John chapter 5, Jesus says to these religious leaders who are the authorities of what the Word of God teaches, and he says to them, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is, in th it is they that bear witness of me. Jesus is what is revealed in the scriptures, who he is. We're talking about Old Testament and new, my friends. You know better than perhaps most that Christmas isn't just about the birth of a new babe, but the coming of the Son of God incarnate. My friends, if you want to know God, you must study the Word of God. If it is your hope to spend an eternity with God, you now have the opportunity to meet him there in the word of God. And so we learn in order to know God. And learning is a lifetime endeavor. Learning is a lifetime endeavor. You know, Paul rebuked the church at Galatia. Church, uh, the, the book of Galatians is a fascinating theological book. It is a response to a church that has lost its way, walked out of the path, have been influenced by people who say that they ought to, to, to be Christians, they need to learn to live according to the law. And Paul rebuked them. And he says that you've gone back to the elementary principles. It's like today, let's talk about the ABCs. If I start teaching the ABCs, you're going to, you say, you're crazy. We already know this stuff. Well, let's not go back to the simpleton things of, of preschool, A, B, C, D. You know the tune. It's already in your head, isn't it? Yeah. My friends, let's move on. Progress, growing, learning, understanding, and living 
The Bible is progressive like our understanding. You know, we read the book of Genesis. I know Genesis. I can outline it. I can tell you about the people in it. But friends, that's not all. There is so much more. Who we know about God, there are things we can learn in Genesis, but we've got to go to Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and so on. This learning and understanding is progressive. You know, sometimes, I, I, from the very beginning, when I first started as a pastor, I've saved all of my sermons. I have all of my sermons all the way back into the, the early 90s, you know? And I look back and I say, oh, this isn't good. <laughs> you know? I, and what, what it is, the difference is, I'm a different person. I have gained understanding and experience. And, and that's how learning is. We can see things from different perspectives and different life experiences. My friends, just, just because there was a day, oh, you remember when you got together and you studied and you memorized, and, and you could talk about that in the past tense. What about the present tense, friends? Learning, it's a lifetime endeavor. And so, my friends, learning is certainly the essence of discipleship, but obeying is the goal of study. We don't study the Bible to be smarter. We study the Bible to be changed. Our minds are changed and our actions are changed. Our habits are changed and our thoughts are changed. And that all takes place, my friends, when we obey. And we learn in order to obey God, my friends. Maturity in the Christian life is not gauged by what we say. It is not about what your vocabulary is so different now that you go to church. My friends, maturity is marked on how you live. How you live. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21, this is, this is a stark warning, my friends. This is some heavy stuff. I want you to hear this carefully. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Not the one who talks a good talk, but the one who lives a good life in obedience to the word of God. And you remember, obedience and faith are like really close cousins, you know, to exercise faith is to hear what God says and act on it, regardless of the opinion of others, regardless of what the seeming cost might be to you. Faith and obedience, my friends, they go together. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, Jesus again says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Well... Maybe we don't call him Lord too much, perhaps when we pray, oh, Lord, help me. Yeah, well, perhaps the prayer that we need to be praying more is, oh, Lord, help me. I am a sinner, and I am selfish, and I need to bust out of this, this lifestyle of, of mediocrity and start living for you. Well, my friends, learning is certainly the essence of discipleship, but obeying is the goal of study, maturity. Again, it's not gauged by what we say, but what we do. And know this, my friends, delayed obedience is disobedience. 
Delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. You don't believe me, do you? And if some of you are questioning, well, if it's delayed, you still did it, so it's obedience, right? I want to encourage you to take your copy of the Scriptures. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. This is an important chapter to remember, like all of them. <laughs> Numbers chapter 13 is, uh, is, is the account of the nation of Israel having been set free from the bondage of Egypt and on the way to this promised land. And they are getting ever so closer, learning lessons about themselves, this nation, and about God. And here they are on the edge. And God instructs them to send 12 spies into the land to look it over, to see if it's not everything that God told them it would be. And they sent one man from every tribe. And here we are in chapter 13. You can always remember that it's chapter 13 because there's 12 spies going in. And 12 plus 13 equals 25. Is that kind of nonsense that helps you remember, my friends? You know, sometimes numbers are just numbers. It's nonsense that helps you get there. 12 and 13, my friends. 12 and 13. Well, we will see here in verse 13 of chapter 13. <laughs> the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. You know, I wonder who Israel belongs to. Well, there's your answer right there. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone a chief among them. So Moses sent them according to the, or sent them from the wilderness of Paran according to the command of the Lord. All of the men who were heads of the people of Israel, these were the names, and he lists all these names. There are two that will stick out for you eventually, you know, and we'll highlight those a little bit later. But moving down to verse 17, we see Moses sent them to spy the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up to the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land is, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, and whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. And be of good courage and bring some of the fruit from the land. Well, you're going to be surprised what that turns out to be. Now it was the time of the first ripe grapes. You're going to bring back some grapes and you won't believe it. Verse 21, so they went up and they spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob near Lebo Hamath. And they went up into the Negev and came to Hebron. Hebron's an important lesson to one of the one of the two guys here. Remember, he got there first. We'll tell you what that means in a little bit. They went up to the Negev, came to Hebron, I'm in Shev. You know, they went all over the place, all right? You know, and then verse 23, they came to the Valley of Eskel and cut down from there a branch. Now, get this, friends. A branch with a single cluster of grapes. And they carried it on a pole between two men. This is the land that God had promised to his people. They had this cluster of grapes that were so massive, two men carried it on a pole. 
what I'm saying here is that when God says I'm bringing you into a good land, is better than you can imagine. Okay, but they had to go. They had to go. And so here, there's two guys carrying around this, this cluster of grapes, you know. And that place was called the Valley of Eskol. Anybody want to know what Eskol means? It means cluster. <laughs> you know, because they're like, look at these grapes. They're as big as basketballs. They didn't say that. It just made that up. <laughs> All right. And at the end of 40 days, now that's an important number here, they returned from spying out the land. And so God said, send in 12 spies and look it over and check out and bring home some of that fruit, you know, and they did so. Well, that's a good first step, isn't it? And so when they returned, these spies gave a report. Look at verse 26. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land which you sent us. And it flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. However... Boom. The people who dwell in the land are strong, and their cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there, you know, the big tall guys from Genesis. And besides, we, we saw the descendants of Anak there, and the Amalekites dwell in the land of Negeb, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites, and the Mosquitoites, and the Canaanites, and they dwell by the sea. And among, along the Jordan, there's no mosquito bites in there. Stop looking for it. Just a lot of ites in there. And so there it is. There's the report. It's everything God said, but there's some really big and powerful people there. And we're scared. Well, maybe rightfully so. I mean, in their own strength, could they possibly stand against these people? But remember, they were slaves in Egypt. <laughs> and remember all those great things that God did before Pharaoh to cause him to release them? Well, Moses called the people to go and occupy the land. Look at this, verse 30. But Caleb kept quiet. Caleb was one of those 12. And, and Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, well, let's go up at once and occupy it, for we are able to overcome it. And then the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go against these people for they're stronger than we are. So they brought, to the, and they left out the God factor. I mean, they're stronger than us, but they're not stronger than our guy. Not us stronger than our God. I mean, our, our God can do incredible. He parted the Red Sea for heaven's sakes. You know, God had sustained them. He, he created this thing called manna. I mean, they would walk outside their tents and there's bread everywhere. Look, we don't have to go cook it or anything. I mean, you can do whatever you want. You can make a hat. You can make a pizza. I mean, whatever you want. But it's there every morning, six days a week. And on the sixth day, there was twice as much. So they didn't even have to go out on the, on the Sabbath. It was all there. God was caring for them in the most miraculous ways. 
But I want you to notice their response to it. Hmm. Yeah. So then the men who had gone up, verse 31, we are not able to go against this people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that saw it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers in their sight. How did they know what they looked like in the eyes of someone else? It was fear. Fear is a horrible thing to rule, my friends. And so the people, having heard this negative report, notice in verse, chapter 14 and verse 1, then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night, and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses. Oh, that Moses. Oh, I hate that, that guy who walks around like he's the king. We don't like that guy. Just grumble, grumble, grumble. But take note of that very carefully. They were grumbling against Moses, but there was someone else involved. Notice what they say here. And the whole congregation said to them, Oh, what that we have died in the land of Egypt. We've been better off dead. I mean, these people are the biggest whiners there have ever been. We would be better off dead than to try and go face this opposition with our God. But they kept forgetting their God. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones become, will become prey. Would it not be better for us to just go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Well, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Now, granted, they, they've been traveling through the wilderness, homeless, well, actually, they weren't homeless. They were just heading home. And they didn't have the faith to believe God. They thought, no, I'm sure that I know more about what could happen there than what my God knows. And they grumbled. Well, when we come to verse 26, we see God's response to their response Notice in verse 26, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? You say, well, we weren't grumbling against God. It was Moses. It was that guy we were grumbling against. Let me say this to you very, very, very clearly, friends. All grumbling is grumbling against God. All grumbling is grumbling against God. Well, if I was God, I would have done it differently. Well, why did God do this? And why didn't God do that? Oh, you, you didn't mention God. Well, I'm so tired of that person who worries. I'm so tired of this people. This, the way this person does And that way that person does that. All grumbling is grumbling against God. For God is the one that puts you in their circumstances for a reason that should bring glory to him and be, bring growth into your life. All grumbling 
is grumbling against God. Don't you forget it in this new year. Every time you lower your head and start wagging your tongue, you grumble against God. Well, I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they have grumbled against me. Verse 28 now, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead body shall fall in this wilderness and all of your number, listed in the census from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me. Not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. But your little ones, who you said would become prey, I will bring them in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead body shall fall in the wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness. How many years? Forty years. And shall suffer for your unfaithfulness, your faithlessness, until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. And according to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, a year for each day you shall bear your iniquity, 40 years, and you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this will I do to all the wicked congregation who are gathered together against me in the wilderness, and they shall come to a full end, and there they shall die." Looks like God takes this obedience thing kind of seriously, doesn't it? Huh. God speaks. He expects obedience. Why? Because he's harsh and mean. Do you remember the land and the grapes? God was bringing them into this wonderful place. He was looking out for their good, but they would not have it. They would not trust him. And I want you to notice what happened to the other ten men. You know, there was Joshua and Caleb. They did not speak evil about this land. Remember, Caleb's like, let's go get it. Look at here in verse 39, Numbers 14. When Moses told these words to all the people of Israel, the people mourned greatly. And they rose early in the morning and went up to the heights of the hill country saying, here we are, we're going to go up to the place the Lord has promised us. <coughs> we're ready to go in the land now, Jesus. Bring us in. Remember what I said about the late obedience is disobedience? The day to go in was yesterday. The day to say yes was yesterday. And so they rose early in the morning, went up to the heights, and said, Here we are. We'll go up to the place that the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. But Moses says, Why now are you transgressing the command of the Lord? God had already told them what it was to be. Forty years in that wilderness. God's word had been spoken, and here they are going against it again. Verse 42, Do not go up, for the Lord is not among you lest you be struck down before your enemies. For there the Amalekites and the Canaanites are facing you, and you shall fall by the sword because you have turned back from following the Lord. 
the Lord will not be with you. Hmm. And the people are defeated. And you can read about it here in verse 44. But they presumed to go up to the heights of the hill country. Although neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed out of the camp. And verse 45 tells us. <coughs> then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and defeated them. And pursued them even to Hormah. And God condemns them to death. Because thus is the result of sin. Now you and I who have put our faith in Christ. You and I who have received the spirit of promise. The spirit of adoption. The spirit of God who guides us and leads us and rebukes us. You and I do not have anything to worry about as far as salvation but friends, what about fellowship? Staying in fellowship with a God who loves you. This is, is this not an offense to you? Do you not look at this and say, these people disgust me. The goodness of God to set them free. And yet they regularly turn their back on God. And suddenly there is a mirror in front of our face. And we must ask the question, what about me? How then will you live? Delayed obedience, my friends, is disobedience. I'm going to end here. But know this. Things have got to change in your life. They have to. They must. Friends, new habits or renew those habits, whatever it takes. But it is your obedience that honors God. Sermon in a sentence. Growth in the Christian life, my friends, demands the discipline of obedience. We cannot obey God if we do not know what God would have us to do. And the only way to learn that is from the Word of God. So I propose to you that reading the Bible is the best way to discover how to live well. Friends, I'm not talking about how to be rich and popular. I'm talking about how to be faithful to the God who honors faithfulness. And I would commend you to always read the Bible with the intent of obeying what you learn. So friends, you're going to start that new reading plan tomorrow? I hope you do. Read the scriptures, friends. There's all kinds of tools out there everywhere. So you can't start tomorrow, start the next day. You know? I mean, whatever. Get in the word of God. When I first trusted Christ, I committed instantly, and I knew growing up in the church that I need to read the Bible. If I'm going to know how it is I ought to live, I need to study God's word. And so I set the alarm for an hour earlier the next morning, and I got up and I started page one, Genesis. Here we go. And I started reading, and friends, there was a lot I didn't understand. <coughs> and as I was struggling through that, one day in the mail, I got this thing called the Daily Walk. <coughs> and it was a guide in reading through the scriptures, and every day... It gave some background material, you know, the, some cultural things that I didn't understand that was happening in the Bible, and, and some good application help. 
You know, how then ought you to live? Write down three ways that you can practice integrity today. Well, integrity became the theme of my day. To be the same on the outside is what I am on the inside. You know, not trying to fool people. Find a tool. This world is rich with them. The internet for free, maybe on your phone. But friends, take the step. Decide today, don't wait for the morning. Make plans, find a place, lay it all out, and make it happen. Make it happen. And always, always, always read the Bible, not with the intent of being able to check off a little box, but with the intent of obedience. You read six chapters, yay, okay, now what? What do we do with it? Find the application point. Ask the Spirit of God to reveal what it is that you ought to be doing differently today because of what you've read. Pray, pray, pray before, while you're reading it. God, help me to understand this so that I might live it. And finally, obedience to the Word of God is an effective effective way to internalize it. And remember this. As you think and you work and you struggle, you begin to become some part of how you think. You're internalizing this. And the Spirit of God uses the Word of God in the life of the child of God to conform us to the character of the Son of God. And that is the goal. That is the work of the Spirit of God in our life. It is the work. And my friends, I know some of you may be already in your head. you got to excuse. Well, I'm getting up real early. Oh, I'm going to bed really. I'm doing this, doing that. But whatever I'm doing, it ain't going to be that. I just recently read this story. It is a fascinating story of a young man who got in this serious, serious accident, so much so that he lost his, his, his vision and quite a few other things along the way. And then this healing process, you know, his pastor visiting, he says, Pastor, one of the things that I dreadfully regret in all of these things is that now I shall not be able to read the Bible. I says, well, perhaps you could learn Braille. Well, his hands were badly burned, and well, maybe, maybe time goes by, perhaps. But could you get me a copy And no matter how he tried, the nerves in his hands just couldn't quite get it. And one day he picked it up, and he held it close to him. And in his prayer, and while talking to God, one of the braille points actually hit the tip of his tongue. And he had this idea, maybe I can read braille with my tongue. This teenaged boy taught himself how to read braille with the tip of his tongue. And in this healing process, he had read through the Bible four times Braille with his tongue. Well, I guess it's all what you really want to do, isn't it? So my friends, as some kid can learn how to read Braille with his tongue and go through the Scriptures four times, take a shot at it. Dedicate and say, God, help me. Take away every distraction Remove whatever it is, discouragement, that I might choose you. 
get in the word of God, that the word of God might get inside of you because that's what the spirit of God uses to give you wisdom, to lead you, to guide you, to correct you, all in the part of changing who you are from the inside out. How about 2018, friends? How about tomorrow morning? Tomorrow midday, find a place, find a time, and do it. You want some counsel as some tools you can use? Let me know. Give me a call. Text me. I don't know. Grab me in the hallway. Be delighted to help. But do it. This is how we change. This is how we become the church that God would have us to be.